The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So really warm welcome, warm welcome to everybody. It's nice to see you all, nice to be here, practice together. And today I'd like to share a little story that's um, out of Bhante Gunaratana's book, Mindfulness in Plain English. This might, this was one of the first Dharma books, maybe not the first one, but uh, one of the first Dharma books that I read. I think the other one was like Eight Mindful Steps to Happiness. And I appreciated this book very much, Mindfulness in Plain English, right? It's just as um, the title suggests, it's really straightforward and was a very, for me, a very nice introduction to what this whole mindfulness business was about. I'd been hearing Dharma talks, but, you know, Dharma talks one week to the next is just what inspires the Dharma teacher. They're not necessarily meant to be, you know, systematically laying things out. So it was helpful to have a book. Maybe I'll just say one tiny thing about uh, Bhante Gunaratana. So Bhante, that's just a generic term that we uh, um, use for uh, monastics for monks for men um, and often if you're ever practicing with a somebody who's ordained and is wearing the orange robes then that's how we would address them as bante I, I don't know maybe in english something would be something like brother maybe something like that would be the equivalent i don't know and then gunaratana this is a sri lankan name he's from uh he's from sri lanka and he came to America in the 60s, and he started teaching meditation and mindfulness in the tradition that we practice in, that I practice in. And he was, I don't remember the story, I think maybe at one time I knew, he was given some property in West Virginia. So you can imagine, I think that might have been in the 70s or the 80s, I'm not sure. But you can imagine somebody from Sri Lanka going from West Virginia People in West Virginia were like, what is going on here? And he was moving from metropolitan Washington, D.C., going like, what's going on here? So it wasn't always an easy place to be. And I think I have heard, but I don't know if this is like within the last 10 years or 20 years or 30 years, that there still is kind of an uneasy relationship between this property that they have in West Virginia and the neighbors. They're not necessarily so keen on this weird, quote-unquote, Buddhist thing that's uh, happening. So, but I don't know if that's still true. So just to put a little context of this story, so Bonte, he he's, um, has a shaved head, wears orange robes, right? So, I mean, he definitely looks like uh, he doesn't fit in. Let's just say that. <laughs> doesn't fit in if you just were to see him. So he has this monastery in this practice center in this rural West Virginia, one of the first in America. And he would go for a walk every day. That's uh, part of his practice, you know, for exercise as well as part of his meditation practice. And he said that there was this man who lived down the road who was very unfriendly. But when he takes his walk, whenever he would see this man, he would wave. And the man would be like driving and would just frown and look the other way and just pass on by. 
And uh, Bonte describes his uh, reaction as, even so, I was not phased by his attitude. I never gave up on him. Whenever I saw him, I would always wave and think kindly of him and sending him loving kindness. So this is Bonte's practice. And then after about a year of this happening, the man's behavior changed. He stopped frowning. So <laughs> Bonte thought like, okay, some progress is happening. And, uh, you know, maybe just the, this unfriendly quote unquote person down the street is uh, becoming a little bit more friendly. After another year, something miraculous happened, right? This is kind of Bonte's language, something miraculous after two years. This, the, uh, the man down the street lifted one finger off the steering wheel. <laughs> and Bonte thinks, this is wonderful. Okay, so all this loving kindness that I've been sending him and, you know, always thinking good thoughts and waving when I see him is, is, uh, is having an effect. Another year passes and Bonde um, still continues to wave and smile. And now this guy raises two fingers <laughs> off the steering wheel, right? After all these years, right? Two fingers. And you know how the story goes, right? And then another year and he lifts four fingers off the steering wheel. And this is a lot of time now that has passed. And then um, he took his hand completely off the steering wheel and and stuck it out the window and waved. Like this is like a huge progress. And then uh, as Bonte is telling the story that he saw the man parked on the uh, side of one of these, uh, uh, on one of these forest roads, just parked on the side of the road, sitting there in his truck, smoking a cigarette. So Bonte just went over to him and started talking. I don't know if they have ever had a conversation before, but and um, Bonte writes that they first they started talking about the weather, and then little by little, his story starts to unfold. It starts that uh, it turns out that several years ago, before he, um, Bonte had started waving to him, he had been in this terrible accident. A tree had fallen on him, and on his while he was in a, the truck, a truck, and almost every bone in his body had been broken, and he was in a coma for a really long time. And then when Bonte had first started seeing him, he was just starting to recover. He could drive, but he couldn't uh, move his fingers. So he was just holding on to the steering wheel because that was all he could do at the time. So just Bonte just, you know, had this realization like, oh, you know, these assumptions that he had been making all these years turn out to be inaccurate. It doesn't mean that this guy was the friendliest person ever, but, you know, something was happening in his life that Bonte didn't know, but he still continued to wave and still continued to kind of send him loving kindness as was his practice as this person went by. So what assumptions are we making about other people and their behavior? And what would happen if we realize that we actually don't know what motivates other people? And instead, we assumed the best and gave them the benefit of the doubt. Like, how would things unfold 
how, how, how would it affect our lives? If that our assumptions, we recognize them as assumptions and didn't hold on to them tightly, thinking that, well, this person is just unfriendly and is never going to be friendly. And there's a way in which doing some loving kindness is a way that can soften our hearts so that we don't always make the worst assumptions about people. Soften our hearts so that we can give them the benefit of the doubt. Soften our hearts so that we can continue to wave and say hello, even if they are not giving us a response that maybe is one that we're expecting or is one that suggests that uh, they're so keen on our showing up or where we are at that time or whatever it might be. Something I appreciate so much about this um, story is that Bonte, the way he tells the story, is he's meeting this person where this person is. He's not going over there demanding that things be different. We have to talk about this. We're neighbors. And he's not, Bonte's not going out of his way to make sure that he runs into this person. When he encounters him, he has some warm-heartedness. He waves and in his mind wishes him well. Beautiful. Because I don't want us to think that loving kindness practice means that we have to convert everybody over to being super kind all the time, or we have to put on rose-colored glasses and pretend that everybody's, you know, everything's perfect and we have to fake being nice all the time, right? That's not what this is about. But we can start to notice what are our assumptions and can we just hold them lightly? And can we, is there a way in which we can give people the benefit of the doubt and recognize that we don't actually know what motivates other people? Okay, so with that as an introduction, let's do some some practice. Taking the meditation posture. A posture that feels steady and upright and yet has some ease with it. And feeling into the moment, the bodily experience, inhabiting the bodily experience. What does it feel like right now to be in this body? Is there a way that you know that you are in the posture you're in? To sit and know you're sitting. 
So tuning into that, the signals uh, that indicate to us that we're sitting. Pressure against the body. Be a sense of the back being uplifted straight. The spine. If you're horizontal, what is it that lets you know you're horizontal? Maybe the pressure against the whole back of the body, against what it is you're lying on. Tuning in to the rhythm of the breath. Feeling the inhales and the exhales. Just this lovely rhythm. And then to begin our loving kindness practice, bringing to mind somebody for whom it's easy to feel some warm heartedness, some goodwill, benevolence, care, respect, in an uncomplicated way. Perhaps visualizing this lovable being, whether it's an individual that you have in your life, or whether it's more a kittens, puppies, babies. I always smile when I say those words, can't help it. Or maybe there's somebody who's had a big impact in your life with their writings or their teachings. Tuning into a lovable being, perhaps visualizing them, connecting. And to support our cultivating loving kindness, to support our intentions of warm-heartedness, care, 
comes back. You can repeat these phrases. May you be saved. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you live with ease. May you be safe. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you live with ease. If we find the mind wandering, some kindness and some warmth, we just begin again with their phrases, with connecting with the lovable being, maybe connecting to a bodily sensation that's associated with warmth, spaciousness in the chest, sense of ease.
tuning into that feeling of warm-heartedness, this feeling of care. If it's there, it might not be there. That's perfectly fine. You don't have to manufacture, create any particular experience. But if it is there, to inhabit that, to feel it, tune into it. And if not, you can tune into the warm-hearted wish to be warm-hearted. And then to expand our loving kindness to include ourselves. It's not so much that we shine the beam of loving kindness a different direction. It's more that we're just expanding that a little bit bigger so that it includes ourselves. May I be safe. May I be happy. May I be healthy. May I live with ease. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to be anything in particular.
May I be safe. May I be happy. May I be healthy. May I live with ease. Just like in the story, Ante was making assumptions about the neighbor. That turned out to be inaccurate. Chances are Assumptions we have about ourselves, the stories we have about ourselves, are also inaccurate. Sometimes our inner critic seems authoritative and believable. It's not true. It's not true. We all have this beauty this goodness inside of us. It's outside of us too.
And then to expand our loving kindness to neutral people, people we don't know. Maybe somebody on this Zoom call, maybe a neighbor, bringing them to mind. May you be safe. May you be happy. May you be healthy. May you live with ease. Recognizing that any assumptions we make about another person, whether we know them or not, but especially if we don't know them, is going to be inaccurate. Of course it is. What would it be like to give people the benefit of the doubt? Assume the best. The neutral person. May you be safe. May you be happy. May you be healthy.
May you live with ease. Some equanimity practice can help us with not making assumptions or holding on to assumptions. So for this practice, bring to mind somebody that's in your life that you care about, that sometimes is a little bit troublesome, burdensome, irksome. Bringing this person to mind. We'll say this phrase. I wish you happiness and I cannot make your choices for you. I wish you happiness and I cannot make your choices for you. So this idea of, of course we make assumptions. I mean, that's how we navigate the world and it's helpful and it's wise to do that. Make assumptions about what's skillful, what's wholesome, what will be supportive, what will be helpful, what will not be. The practice here is to not mistake assumptions for the truth. Not 
think that our assumptions are actually the way things are. They're assumptions. They're helpful for us to make some decisions maybe, but we don't have to hold on to them and think that they're the absolute truth, especially when it concerns the motivations of others, especially when it concerns the inner life of other people. You can see the way that they act and, you know, assume all kinds of things about them. Maybe some are true, maybe some aren't, but imagine how your life would unfold differently if the assumptions you were making were about assuming the best. Maybe they're, this person's having a bad day. Maybe this person got some terrible news, somebody from a family member, and that's why they're cranky. Or maybe this person... Is troubling at work because we remind them of some childhood character in their life that maybe was troublesome for them. I don't know, right? The point is that we don't really know. And our life just would be a happier life in general if we just say, okay, this person's having difficulties, but may you be happy. May you be healthy. And that uplifts our heart so that we don't get stuck in the story making and the, you know, the, it's incredible, right? The stories that our minds can make and start thinking that they're true. So it can be helpful to talk to others about this idea, but what are the kind of assumptions that we make for other people? And what would it be like to start making, give, Good assumptions, assuming the best, giving people the benefit of the doubt. Like, how might that affect our life? How might our life unfold differently if we had that as a a way that we showed up in the world? So, I'm going to put you into groups of three or four and have an, an opportunity to just explore this idea. And then this connection with loving kindness, of course, is that it makes it easier for us to assume the best if we ourselves are have filled up, if we're feeling nourished with loving kindness, then it's so much easier to give the benefit of the doubt to others. As well as with loving kindness practice, there's a way in which it just becomes easier and easier and maybe even more the default way. Not maybe, it does become more the default way in which we just approach others and approach the world. So, um, and then I'll just give these instructions that I like to always give is, there's no need to say every idea that you have on this topic. Maybe just make one point, go to the next person, they make one point, go to the next person, make one point, and then have it come back around. So in this way, everybody has the chance to learn something new, hear something new, and have some new ideas as opposed to just informing others about uh, what you know, instead to together create uh, a mandala, a mosaic of uh, understanding about this idea of assumptions. And if it's helpful, you can go in the order of the last digit of your phone number. Okay, here we go.
Welcome back. Welcome back. Anybody have a comment or something they'd like to share? You know, I, in the group, I was reminded of Donald Trump as a wonderful object to send loving kindness to rather than making assumptions. And that was helpful because I haven't thought of Donald Trump in such a long time. So that was um, helpful. Thank you, Rebecca. Yeah. All these people, right, that we make assumptions about. Yes, Greg. You know, one of the things I've seen where my assumptions have been kind of a fail and have surely but slowly learned me not to trust them. <laughs> so much behavior, both in people and animals that I have dealt with, is a paradoxical in nature, right? Where sometimes uh, very aggressive behavior is driven by very fearful types of uh, motivations or coping mechanisms. And, uh, so what seemed to me apparent uh, 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 as a way to uh, interpret something was uh, maybe it's not as thoughtful as it could have been, if I think in terms of the Buddhist concept of dependent causation. And uh, so that keeping that in mind has been helpful to me with, with uh, more than just people. <laughs> nice. Nice. Thank you, Greg. Right. Happens for animals too. Yeah, yeah. That we ascribe meaning to behavior. Yeah. Thank you, Greg. Philippe. I was thinking about the assumptions that we made about ourselves. So in which way you can turn it around. So can you give me some hints on that? Same question, but to ourselves. Yeah. So sometimes we uh, might have this idea, especially when we're doing like meta practice and we find our mind wandering like pff, it, it, this, it's maybe slight and in the back of mind, but this pff, you, you, you can't meditate. Look, everybody else is meditating and they all have are filled with compassion and love, but you can't. So I don't know what it is, the exact words are, but it's not uncommon for people to have this kind of inner critic that shows up. And then we start to believe it. Say like, oh, we can't meditate or we're terrible meditators. We're losers. We shouldn't even come or, you know, I don't know what the story is. And so it's not true. It's not true. It's just habits that we have that we fall into that about our, the way that we are. And it's natural to protest and say, but I have lots of data to support this, these assumptions that we're making. But there's other ways in which we can interpret some of these things. And one of them is I'm um, pointing to is the power of habit the power of the way we've been socialized, the power of um, maybe there's some underlying fear or something that wants to keep things a certain way. And so there isn't a flexibility in seeing things differently. So this loving kindness towards oneself helps create the conditions in which when the inner critic arises, that we see like, oh, okay, thank you for your opinion, but may I be happy may I be healthy, may I be, may I live with ease, or, you know, something like that. Was that, is that helpful? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, great. Jamie. 
Um, you, you, the story about waving at the sour-looking man who didn't wave back reminded me of Mr. Charles. He's a guy who lived in Berkeley, and um, for 30 years, every single morning, he stood on the same corner on Ashby Avenue and waved at the cars driving by. Wow. And, and he took to wearing yellow gloves so that people could see his hands <laughs> waving more easily. Um, and he quit doing it in um, 1992. And, and still on his birthday, people put on yellow gloves and stand on the same corner and wave. Um, and he's still waving, actually, too, because there's a big mural of him right on that corner. Oh, nice. Nice. What a nice story. Thank you. Thank you, Jim, for sharing this. Okay, so we're uh, two minutes after the hour, so uh, I respect your time. But um, what, a, what a pleasure it is to practice together, you know, to share this practice. So... If you like, you can unmute and um, we'll say goodbye. So, goodbye. Goodbye. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye. Thank you, Diana. Next time. Thank you, Ruby. Nice to be with you all. Thank you, Ann. Bye-bye. you and Jamie. Thank you, Terrence. And Ann. Yeah. Just Bye. Love you all. Thank you. Bye, Trudy. Thank you, Bye. Thank you, Diana. Bye, Trudy. Bye. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome.